Trigger warning. Please note, this episode contains themes and depictions of human trafficking that may be disturbing to listeners. Listener discretion is advised. If you or someone you know needs help, resources are available in the show notes. It was a Tuesday morning. An old woman walked into the Barbiga police station in Sheikhpura, Bihar. Age wasn't the only thing weighing her down. Her distress was palpable. She was there to file an FIR. Why? Her granddaughter Pooja had been sexually assaulted. Pooja and her friend Megha studied in the area's government school. On Monday evening, the 12-year-old girls were plucking vegetables in the field when they were suddenly surrounded by five boys. Familiar faces to both of them. The two girls had no idea what was in store for them. A nightmare? No. Much, much worse. The assault happened in the vegetable patch. The boys ripped off their clothes, forcibly held them down, muffled their screams and violated the young girls, tearing apart their innocence over and over again and again. Before leaving, the boys tossed five rupees at the girls for their silence. Two girls, five boys. Children, all of them around the same age. Pooja was in unbearable pain when she reached home, tears streaming down her face. What happened? Her grandmother said, stunned by the girl's appearance. Pooja didn't know what to say. She was unsure how to describe what had happened. How was she to put her pain into words? How was she supposed to describe the terror, the fear, the disgust? When her grandmother questioned her further, Pooja began trying to find a way to describe how she and Megha had been brutalized in the fields. Pooja knew one of the boys. He was a neighbor. Her family identified him and another boy. They were immediately transferred to the custody of the Juvenile Justice Board. The three other boys were nowhere to be found. During the interrogation, the boys revealed that before they went to the fields, they had been watching porn together. When 16-year-old Sarah fell ill and was admitted to the hospital, the doctors discovered that she had been pregnant for five months. Suspecting assault, the hospital staff informed the police. The police arrived and asked Sarah about the pregnancy and in a feeble voice, she said, Maybe Sharat. Sharat 
was Sarah's 13-year-old brother. They immediately went to question him and what they learned was shocking. Sharath revealed that his sister watched porn regularly and even showed it to him at night. She would then force him to try out what they both saw in those videos. The police concluded that it was likely she was pregnant due to the sexual encounters with her brother. Clutching her lowered abdomen, eight-year-old Rinku was writhing in pain. Her worried mother rushed her to the hospital. The doctor examined Rinku and confirmed that she had been raped. Rinku's mother filed an FIR. She knew the names of the boys who were responsible. Rinku knew them too. They lived in the same housing colony in Sri Ganganagar, Rajasthan. One of the boys was the same age as Rinku. Eight. The other two were slightly older, 10 and 12, not yet teens. According to their statements, the police revealed that one of the boys was addicted to porn and watched it frequently on his father's cell phone. He had forced Rinku to watch the videos with them and had even made her watch porn while she was being assaulted. Hi, I'm Abish Matthew. Welcome to Missing, a podcast that explores the stories of child trafficking and sexual exploitation that highlights the innocence, the deception, and what happens behind closed doors. To help us understand the issues in more depth, our host, Lena Kejriwal, founder of the Missing Link Trust, will talk to psychologists, lawyers, activists, and other experts for their insight on child protection, sexual abuse, cyber safety, and more. Today, we're exploring the effects of pornography on adolescent sexuality. Here's your host, Lena Kejriwal. In 2020, while the rest of the world was focused on preventing a global health crisis, the world's largest pornography website was busy causing another pandemic. Traffic to the site was high in 2020, but on March 24th in 2021, the company opened its premium subscription service to the entire world for free for 30 days. Subscriptions soared to previously unheard of levels in the days that followed. On March 25th, traffic to the site surged by 22.6% in the United States, 21.5% in Canada, 41.5% in Mexico, 53.2% in Russia, 61% in Spain, while India saw a whopping increase of over 95% in viewer traffic to the porn website. An article in the Kashmir Observer in June 2021 titled The Pandemic of Pornography talks about how the age of adolescence is a transitional phase of physical and emotional change where the propensity for addiction is high. One such addiction is porn. Nobody said growing up was easy. 
And it doesn't help that young people today grow up in the era of internet and smartphones. According to McAfee's Global Connected Family Study, Indian children are among the youngest to reach mobile maturity. Mobile maturity is the age when kids begin their digital existence. According to the study, smartphone use between the ages of 10 to 14 is at 83% in India, which is 7% above the international average. This also means that Indian adolescents have the highest online risk exposure to age-inappropriate content such as pornography, which may have adverse impacts on their development. To break this down for us, let's first understand who is an adolescent. Here's clinical psychologist, psychoanalyst and author Dr. Danielle Nafo, who is also a professor at Long Island University's Clinical Psychology Doctoral Program and an associate clinical professor at New York University's postdoctoral program in psychoanalysis. She tells us more about what goes on in an adolescent stage. An adolescent is a strange creature. They are usually, you know, between the ages of 13 and 18, 19, although more recently we've been talking about extended adolescence, that adolescence in our day and age, that phase of development lasts longer than it used to. And we can think about why that is. But basically, it's a phase of development between childhood and adulthood. And because it's such a transitional phase, it's a difficult phase. It's a complicated phase. Um, the adolescent is negotiating all kinds of changes, physical changes that they're going through, internal changes that they're navigating, external pressures and expectations that they're trying to come to terms with. So the main task of adolescence is developing one's identity. That is what, you know, separate from their parents, they're separating, they're individuating, they're becoming more who they will be as adults. But that transition is challenging and they no longer look to their parents as the authorities for knowledge, for direction. They look more to their peers or other adults. And in today's world, they look to technology because that's where so many adolescents spend their time. They look to social media to a large degree. And increasingly, they're coming to terms with their own sexual identities, not just their individual identities. And because they're online so much, they also look to online pornography. In India particularly, sex still remains a taboo subject. Yet adolescents are exposed to sexual content online. This disassociation may have an impact on adolescent development. Human rights activist, researcher, and founder of the NGO Huck Center for Child Rights, Inakshi Ganguly, tells us more. Sexuality is a complicated subject in India because there is no conversation around it. 
but suddenly with the opening up of the online platforms and the availability of android and other phones more easily than it used to be uh, the availability of pornographic material has also become more extensive than it used to be that plus the hypersexualization that you and i can see in say ads in films in movies um all of it together along with the availability of pornographic material and the hypersexualization that you see on instagram and other photographs so it is not just pornographic material but it is the conversation that has suddenly opened up not really conversation but the visualization around sexualization and sexuality that has opened up without the relevant conversations that should have happened with it so we are in a phase where there was no conversation to a phase when there was slow conversation hopefully there would have been because we had just begun conversations in the reproductive health classes in school there was sex education just about beginning in the middle of this suddenly we there is this boom that has happened that we see and uh, with the covid and you know everything happening on digital there is suddenly an opening up because of the lack of simultaneous conversation and simultaneous you know explanations as to what is happening you do see hypersexualization and the pure pressure around having a sexual relationship between two people it's a diversity of messaging that we are seeing some coming from the cultural context that we grow up with some coming from the visualization some coming from the the internet that is beaming lift different things so in this there is so many mixed messages the children are so confused the adolescents are confused and what you see in terms of behavior changes is a result of this confusion that they are seeing in their lives Amidst all this, young people are still naturally developing sexually. Dr. Nafo gives us a psychological perspective of how adolescent sexuality is affected by the exposure to technology and pornography. We talk a lot in psychology about mirroring that the parents, particularly the mother mirrors to the the infant back who they are and the infant internalizes that sense of who they are from the outside world primarily the primary caregiver in adolescence they also need to be mirrored you know they're very self-conscious about their development how they look what they're doing who they're going out with and of course their sexuality and the main place that they look for that mirroring these days is on the internet so they compare themselves with others they uh get feedback from others are they missing out on something you know in the old days you would compare yourself with a small group of people because the internet is so worldwide young people are comparing themselves to uh, thousands of people and so it's very difficult to measure up and to know who they are and so in terms of sexuality in some ways they find themselves especially for people with marginal sexualities or sexualities that are less accepted 
in society, they'll find other people like themselves, and that can buttress their sense of self-esteem, their confidence, I'm not alone, things like that. On the other hand, when they are exposed to pornography too early, and today we know that most children are exposed to pornography between the ages of 9 and 11, which is very, very young. And what happens as a result of that is that their own development of their sexual desires becomes hijacked by the internet. The internet pornography, which they're exposed to, shows them images. Images are very powerful to consciousness and the unconscious, much more than words. And these images are not just static images, they're videos. When I was growing up, there was Playboy magazine. People would see an image of a naked woman, but they still had to use their imagination. What would they do with that naked woman? How would it be with this naked woman? Now you don't even need to use your imagination because the whole film is presented to the viewer and the person doesn't have to develop their own desire. They don't develop a knowledge of what they desire because they're presented with these images that are exciting. And so they start thinking that that's their desire, but they haven't had the chance to reflect, to develop their own sense of what they want, to test it out in the real world. And so Really, what I think is that the internet porn, especially when the child is exposed too young, hijacks that work of desire. And it confuses the young viewer into thinking that this is what they want and not allowing them the time, the reflection. It's instant gratification. It's instant, you know, reward. It's a sense of omnipotence and control over one's sexuality. But that's not what sexuality really is in the real world. One works at it. There's trial and error. There's exploration. There's imagination. And all of that goes out the window when the viewer is young and exposed to these images and these videos early on before they have done this work of desire and knowing their own sexual desire. As Dr. Nafo mentioned, pornography has existed across the ages. Depictions of a sexual nature have existed since prehistoric times through artifacts, sculpture, script and more. But today the medium has evolved and become far more sinister and gruesome. So what are some of the other negative effects of exposure to pornography amongst young people today? Dr. Nafo explains. So one of the things that happens is that the young person thinks this is what sex is. And of course, there's no fumbling, <laughs> there's no, no erectile dysfunction, there's no problematics of relating. And so they develop unrealistic expectations of what sexuality is. There's a lot of objectification of women on pornography sites. And so they may learn that not to see the female as a person, but more as an object to be conquered, and who will 
do anything and easily and quickly to please the male. The majority of porn users are male, uh, about 70%, but 30% are female, including in India. And that is growing, but still the majority of viewers are male and the pornography is geared towards the male. And that's why a lot of the pornography does objectify females or even, you know, uh, behave sadistically towards females. And so one of the biggest negative consequences of, of viewing internet porn, especially the younger one encounters it, is that they can become addicted to it. And so they can have in their mind the idea that they are with a different person every time. So it doesn't teach them how to develop intimacy, the give and take of intimate connection, to take into consideration another person's needs or desires and learn them and come together. So all of these things are short-circuited when one views pornography and especially when one becomes addicted to pornography. This begs the question, can the exposure and subsequent addiction to porn take the humanity out of young people? So much so that this brings out various forms of sexual misconduct. In May 2020, our collective social media feeds were filled with updates and a public outcry about a controversy related to rape culture and adolescent sexuality. A group of 11th and 12th grade school boys in some of Delhi's top schools were members of an Instagram group chat called Boys Locker Room. The purpose of this group chat was to share obscene images of young girls without their consent, many of whom were underage. Offensive comments, lewd language and visceral descriptions of gang raping these young girls were littered all over the group chat. When the women found out, members of the group even threatened to leak nude photographs of anyone who reported them. Eventually, the Delhi police investigated the matter. 15 students were questioned and one arrested. The police identified that most of the 27 participants were underage. This is just one example of one group chat from one city in India that came out into the media spotlight. Sadly, this story isn't unique but soon becoming the norm as the internet has begun creating an environment that puts screens between all of us that is beginning to create an atmosphere of desensitization. We asked Inakshi and Dr. Nafo if there is a link between pornography online and sexual offenses amongst adolescents. This is a very hotly debated question. And it's debated about violence in general, and in particular about sexual violence. There are findings on both sides. There are some findings that say there's no connection, and there are findings that say there is a connection. Why might there be a connection? Because when people watch internet porn, what happens when they watch it a lot, when they become addicted, they become desensitized to some of the porn that they're watching. And what we've seen is that they go from more soft porn to harder porn. And the harder porn is more sadomasochistic 
porn and usually against females. So you see the choking, the hitting, the abusive language. You see that if a woman says no, she really means yes. You see all of these things a young viewer might internalize and think, oh, you know, that's okay. So I think it might get into the minds of certain viewers that that is okay and then bring it into the real world because they're watching it. They're getting ideas about it. They're getting excited by it. I have dealt with young people who've been watching pornography together. And then suddenly there was the boy who jumped on the girl and then the girl said, no, again, issue of consent turned into rape. And then, you know, the whole case of Foxo opened up and all that. But it all began with the two of them sitting down on a couch and watching the film or watching pornography. Actually, you know, we don't have enough information about access. It would help to have enough information about access. There's a film that Shutapa Deb from NDTV once made many years ago, and it's available still, you might find it, in which she interviewed children who had been apprehended, allegedly for rape, you know, and some of them, did speak about the fact that they were actually watching pornography before they went and had sex with some younger person. What's more worrying about this entire scenario is how easy it is for someone to go from being a porn viewer to a porn addict and potentially to something even more malicious. Dr. Nafo takes us through murky parts of the internet and their repercussions on our sexual preferences or behavior. The dark web, which is the majority of the internet, which only certain people know how to get into, the majority of the dark web is child porn. And child rape is part of that. I can only say that recently I read two articles showing, because we tend to think that pedophiles are a certain type and that you cannot become a pedophile, that this is a certain type of attraction to younger uh, children and you either have it or you don't. But I read two articles recently that showed that people who use internet pornography a lot and start out with completely innocuous sexuality views can end up watching child pornography over time. And it was not their intent in the beginning. But so there is this slippery slope that occurs when people watch pornography a lot and they become desensitized and then they have to up the ante and it gets more and more intensive and more and more sadomasochistic. And in some cases can even lead to this kind of rape porn or child porn. These are extreme cases, but they exist. The factors that affect adolescent sexuality cannot solely be consequences of porn. Economic status, urban-rural divide, education all play a role. Inakshi explains why we may see a higher rate of porn-related sexual offences in urban areas and whether young people from financially disadvantaged backgrounds are the only ones committing these crimes. 
one has to understand that living in urban areas, the challenges it throws up is far more than in the rural areas in terms of living, you know, more congested living, more access to whatever we've been talking about in terms of technology, online sites, all of those. And in the absence of any guidance and now actually in the absence of a lot of even playgrounds for young people to go and play, they spend a lot more time online. And that is, I think, one of huge reasons for what we are seeing in terms of change in behavior that we are witnessing with younger people and not necessarily all turning to violence. And that is the other myth I want to break that we assume because the people who come into the system are the ones who are the more marginalized and the poor. We do not see enough of the upper class or the middle class in the juvenile justice system. Because we do not see them in the juvenile justice system, our assumptions are based on what we see. And because we see them more, we believe that it is the poor and the marginalized in the urban areas who are more uh, prone to offending. But I would think that that is something that we need to examine very, very clearly in our heads because it becomes part of our othering that we have been so used to. It is true we see them more in the system because they are easier to access for us. The others, like my child or your child, we will navigate them through the system somehow or the other. So they will never reach the numbers. This only goes to show how the juvenile justice system is disproportionately filled with economically disadvantaged section of the population. But even if this was not the case, can laws and penal action be easy substitutes for larger societal and cultural changes that need to be addressed? Here is what Inakshi has to say. We think that the law and penal action is the solution to every social problem. Social change takes its own time and it's slow, it's cumbersome, it takes forever. You make one step forward, you take five backwards. You cannot tick a box and say it's done. And so to think that one law and yet another law and yet another law, just imagine the Juvenile Justice Act came in, penal. Then the POXO Act was introduced with 20 years of mandatory sentencing, if found guilty, going up to death penalty. Then you find children turning hostile and not wanting to report because 70% of the people who are seen are perpetrators are actually people known to them, could be family. So if there is abuse, they want the abuse to stop, but they don't want the person to be killed or hanged. Now you're bringing in the Child Marriage Act, which again goes to 21. And so one after the other, we bring in more penal laws, hoping that the large societal, cultural, whatever is social, all those norms will change by penal action. They will not. So what are these social and cultural norms? Are there things parents are doing that have a negative impact on the sexual development of their children? Dr. Nafo tells us more, and Inakshi gives us the Indian perspective. 
So the main tasks that the adolescent faces are identity formation. They are coming to terms with who they are and who they are becoming as an adult, right? That includes physical, who they are, what their desires are. It includes intellectual, right? Their minds are expanding at an exponential pace during these years. They're taking in so much information, so much knowledge, and also socially. Where do they stand socially? What is important for them socially? What is their social group? Who do they want? Are they isolated? Do they have a group? Do they not like the group they're in? What are their future plans? So all of that is going on during these adolescent years. And the parent it is in a very peculiar uh, and challenging position. Why? Because one of the tasks of adolescence is separating from the parent, is developing their own sense of who they are rather than the parent's sense of who they should be or must be. So they might go against the parent during these years. So that's why I think in India, the parents are more authoritarian than in the United States, from what I know. And so the children may be more acquiescent, but then behind the parents' back, do what they want. So I would encourage parents to be more open, to have more open communication, less judgmental, less punitive, less, you must do this, you can't do that. You're going to be punished if you do this. Less shame-inducing. Because if we're doing all of that, the adolescent will not be open with the parents. I think we are not a culture that has conversations with the next generation. You know, our parents didn't talk to us about it. They came and So this is seen to be the ideal child behavior. The ideal child behavior is one in which there is no direct conversation or confrontation. It's obedience. But we don't know what kind of a volcano is bubbling inside that child in, in the facade of this obedience and aak bhi nahi uthana. So, when you talk about the generations, and parents don't talk about it because they don't talk about it. उनको पावर रिलेशन आता है मैं तुम्हारी मां हूं मैं तुम्हारे बाप हूं मैं टीचर हूं सो द ट्रांजैक्शन इज वन ऑफ पावर ऑलवेज तो जब तक हम उसके बारे में बातचीत नहीं करेंगे तो ये पावर इक्वेशन तो टूटेगा ही नहीं ना और जब तक ये पावर इक्वेशन नहीं टूटेगा कॉन्वर्सेशन करना भी नहीं है हमेशा ट्रेनिंग करनी पड़ेगी पेरेंट्स के साथ बातचीत करने के लिए सो इट्स अ 360 डिग्री अप्रोच दैट वी नीड टू टेक व्हेन वी आर टॉकिंग अबाउट adolescents and young people it's not one or the other and i think we need to stop talking about only offenders and victims high time because we don't know but the law will make an offender out of a consensual sexual relationship also if it is underage so what should parents do then Inakshi gives us some solutions she thinks will help adolescents have a healthier relationship with their parents, the internet, and their sexuality. We should break the silence around 
sex and sexuality. Parents need to accept that their children are probably engaging in sexual behavior and not behave as if my child is not doing it, you know. Or when your child is engaged, saying that your child is not responsible, the child with whom he or she is engaged is responsible. That's the conversation that we need to have with parents. We also need to have the conversation around consent with parents so that they can teach their children about consenting behavior. What is consent and what is not consent? How to say no and when to say no? Those are conversations that parents need to have with their children. They also need to monitor the online time that children are engaged in. Only then, at some point, be able to say that we have done our best for the children that we are bringing up. Despite that, there will still be incidents of violence or unsafe acts of sex. But it doesn't help, you know, that we have a law that makes it mandatory to report sexual behavior below the age of 18. It makes it statutory rape. So if you come to know your child is having sex, are you going to report it? Because mandatorily you're supposed to report. So what we are doing is we are actually in our heads also stopping the conversation because we are afraid with, if I know something, I will have to report. So I pretend I do not know, which is wrong. We are not addressing the elephant in the room. We are addressing everything else around it. Finally, Dr. Naf will share some valuable advice to parents and society at large. So the best way is to keep an open communication with one's children, both teachers, educators, and parents. We need to realize that our children become sexualized earlier, particularly because of the internet, and to not put off talking about it. This talk has to come much earlier. <laughs> you know, What are you going to see on the internet? What are going to be the temptations? Let's think about it. Encourage critical thinking so that the children ask themselves, you know, what is pornography? Have a conversation about it. Who makes it? What are the aims of pornography? Who are these people? That they're actors. The actors are not the same as people, you know, in the real world. They're acting. And so they can establish a distinction between what they see online and what is reality, what is the real world. So I think the most important thing is to talk about it openly. Don't make them feel bad about anything, but prepare them to think about what it is, what the risks are for them so that they know going in when they do encounter this, oh, this is what mom told me about. Maybe I better not go there. So that they're much more prepared and they know the risks rather than the punitive, the police are going to get you or, or you're going to go to jail. First of all, it's not realistic and it's not going to work. And we don't want a child to develop a negativity around their sexuality. We want them to see sexuality as something positive and their own sexuality to develop in a positive way, not with a lot of shame and guilt. How do we do this in the healthiest possible way? And what are the things that can interfere with the healthy development of one's sexuality and one's sexual desires? 
and the capacity to be intimate with another person. So I think those conversations just have to be had earlier on. And if adults are uncomfortable with it, they need training how to talk to their children. For teachers should be trained how to talk to developing children about these issues, about safe usage of the internet. The internet is part of our lives. It's part of our children's lives. And we cannot change that. And they're going to know things from the internet that we can't even access. So we have to get ahead of that. We have to know that this is happening. This is going to happen. How do we get ahead of it? How can we, you know, have an open communication with them? All of these things, this is part of education now. This is part of raising a child now. The solutions presented by Inakshi and Dr. Nafo align with what we at the Missing Link Trust have been advocating for for years. It's all about parenting, how we raise our children, how we communicate with them, how we provide them with safe spaces to voice what they're going through, and talking about subjects that we consider taboo. If we, as a society, feel like sex and sexuality is a bad thing, we will have no choice but to continue to see our children experience much worse. So being open to having that conversation can truly make a world of difference. Thank you so much to Inakshi Ganguly and Dr. Danielle Nafo for being on the show and sharing the diverse set of insights and observations. Do check out our work at savemissinggirls.com, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at missinggirls, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, send an email to reach us at savemissinggirls.com. <laughs>